0: This is Africa Digest.
1: It is a Wednesday afternoon and we welcome you to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you live from our studios in Johannesburg and on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Online, it's www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with We're Sani Matebula and Musibuti Mokora. Now some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. South African president officially opens the 10th BRICS summit. Zimbabwe's main opposition party says it has no intention of boycotting next week's elections. And in economics, Aliko Dangote arranges more than 4.5 billion US dollars in debt financing for his Nigerian oil refinery project. And lastly, in sport, the Egyptian Football Association names shortlist of coaches to replace Hector Cooper. But first, let's find out what is happening in the world of news with Onele.
2: Thank you, Samora. South Africa's President Sarora Ramaphosa has hailed the first decade of the existence of BRICS as a major success in global developmental agenda. Ramaphosa was speaking at the official opening of the BRICS Business Summit, currently underway in the country. The meeting brings together leaders and businessmen from Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. President Ramaphosa says over the past 10 years, the bloc has made enormous strides in a number of cooperation areas, including climate change and promoting sustainable development.
3: Since its formation, the bank has dispersed loans, totaling, $5.1 billion, with approvals amounting to $1.7 billion this year alone. As we enter the second decade of BRICS cooperation, we are determined to expand the bank's role in economic and social development.
2: Meanwhile, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi earlier announced a plan to strengthen the. This- this country's presence in Africa by opening 18 new embassies across the continent. Moody was addressing the Ugandan parliament before traveling to South Africa, Johannesburg for the BRICS summit. The BBC's David Bumford.
4: India appears to be embarking on an African business strategy aimed at catching up with its giant Asian rival China, which is already well established on the continent. It's not surprising that Narendra Modi chose Uganda to speak of Indian expansion. Ugandan Asians already play a vital role in the country's economy, despite being forced out en masse in the 1970s during the dictatorship of Idi Amin. Mr Modi said India would boost trade and investment.
2: The main opposition party in Zimbabwe, the Movement for Democratic Change, has announced that it will be taking part in the country's elections on Monday. This follows earlier reports that the party planned to boycott the elections, alleging fraudulent activities from the ruling ZANU-PF to rig them. Speaking at a media briefing, MDC leader Nelson Chamisa still believes the election commission is biased, but he says the MDC will still win.
5: Contrary to the perception that we are going to boycott the election, we can't boycott our victory. Winners don't boycott. We are the winners in this election. If anything, we have also realized that it's a machination by ZANU-PF to try and get us into a position of despondence and start causing anarchy so that the election is avoided. We know that it is in the nature of ZANU-PF to cheat and to also undermine the will of the people. But we are saying to people of Zimbabwe, come in your numbers to shame the detractors.
2: Meanwhile, Zimbabwean President Emmerson Nangaga has reportedly threatened to arrest Chamisa should he cause chaos before the country's crunch elections next week. According to the state-owned Herald newspaper, Nangaga told his supporters that his government would not tolerate anarchy ahead of the first election since long-serving ruler Robert Mugabe was forced to resign. Nangaga's comments came a day after the Zimbabwe Republic police banned a demonstration by the Movement for Democratic Change Alliance that has been slated for Wednesday. And lastly, more than 30,000 residents of Kibera Slum, southwest of the Kenyan capital Nairobi, remain homeless after authorities evicted them. The government is paving a way to construct a major road connecting the capital. Two cases filed in two separate Nairobi courts by residents seeking to be legally allowed to leave on the land where the slums are located were dismissed. James Shimanyula has
5: land has been a sensitive issue in kenya for more than 50 years The fight for land ownership began before Kenya attained independence from the British colonial rulers. However, even after independence and after the British rulers left Kenya, the issue of land ownership has remained emotive. Apart from perennial disputes arising out of land ownership in Kenya, many people in rural places are landless. Slum dwellers in Nairobi and its outskirts have squatted on government land for more than five decades
2: Channel African News I'm Onilin Sinsi Africa Digest
0: You're listening to Africa Digest
1: Now we're kicking it off with something good. The curtains of the BRICS for Business Forum, which is part of the 10th BRICS Summit, has officially come up in Johannesburg, South Africa. According to the organisers, about 1,000 delegates from Brazil, Russia, India, China, and of course South Africa are gathering at the Sandton Convention Centre for the event. Now this is what this year's host and South African President, Cyril Ramaphosa, had to say as he officially opened the forum.
3: This business forum has become an important and vital platform for the development of economic cooperation between the BRICS member countries. We welcome you to our shores and to our country just a week after the world marked the centenary of the birth of the father of our democracy and a global icon, President Nelson Khalifa Mandela, We invoke his name here because the work we are here to do requires us to build on the foundations that Nelson Mandela laid for the advancement of democracy, world peace, human solidarity, international cooperation, and mutual respect. And in many ways, many of us feel like we are carrying on the work that he started. This year also marks a decade of BRICS collaboration during which we have successfully shaped an ambitious agenda for the development that requires the great potential our countries possess for collective action. Intra-BRICS cooperation has been gaining momentum and meaning in areas such as finance, agriculture, trade, combating transnational transnational crime, science and technology, health, education, security, and academic dialogue. One of the most important achievements, and there have been many, many achievements that we can talk about as the BRICS family has been in the first decade of BRICS was the establishment of the New Development Bank, which fills a critical gap in project funding. But uh, the establishment of this BRICS Business Council, as Minister Davis has said, has also been an outstanding achievement. To be able to get so many Business people from all The BRICS countries including some Outreach countries That we invite to the BRICS Summit Is quite phenomenal And for this We count it as An outstanding achievement And indeed The other important achievement Which Minister Davis also Highlights Is to have set up a forum of a number of countries that we call Outreach Countries that are part of the BRICS Summit. And this year, these will also be accompanied by a number of countries in our own region who will be participating in the outreach activities. This also is an important achievement. The sectoral engagements that the BRICS Summit offers us and which the BRICS Business Council has been able to take forward are also something that we appreciate because they are able to get people to engage and talk about things that really matter in the lives of our people. Since its formation, just talking about the bank, the bank has dispersed loans totaling $5.1 billion with approvals amounting to $1.7 billion this year alone. As we enter the second decade of BRICS cooperation, we are determined to expand the bank's role in economic and social development. We are meeting here, ladies and gentlemen, at a time when the multilateral trading system is facing unprecedented challenges. We are concerned by the rise in unilateral measures that are incompatible with World Trade Organization rules, and we are worried about the impact of these measures, especially as they impact developing countries and economies. These developments call for thorough discussion on the role of trade in growing and in promoting sustainable development, particularly inclusive growth. The BRICS countries are increasingly recognized as an influential formation in reinforcing principles of transparency, inclusiveness, and compatibility within the multilateral trading system. There is also much scope to expand the value of trade between BRICS countries themselves.
1: And that was South African President Cyril Ramaphosa opening the BRICS Business Forum as part of the 10th BRICS Summit. Now, earlier on, we did ask political analyst Theo Becker of the Northwest University to talk us through the bloc's historical trajectory. Here he is.
6: The uh, BRIC Association or the BRICS Club in the early 2000s was formed to create an alternative to the World Bank and to the developed world. The idea was to say, listen... We are developing uh, countries and there are specific needs that must be addressed. It was initially Brazil, China, India and Russia. Uh, since 2012 to 2013, we were part of the discussions, we were part of the uh, BRICS Education Forum, the Business Forum and other fora, and the idea was to bring the uh, five countries closer together. We must be careful not to see it as an alternative and an exclusive club, only five countries. It's much bigger than
0: that. I believe that on the last day of the summit is the BRICS Plus initiative and then the leaders of Jamaica, Argentina and Turkey will take part and also as part of the so-called BRICS Africa outreach session. Countries like Ethiopia, Angola, Senegal and Gamboa even here in South Africa. So tell me about the much bigger than only the five BRICS countries you are talking about.
6: Yeah, Initially the idea was to focus only on the, the four countries and then the five countries. But since 2014, 2015, the idea evolved that it is important that we include also other countries. For instance, in South America, Latin America, we include Argentina, Africa, We can include several countries like Nigeria, uh, Tanzania, Kenya, Egypt. And it is also a fact that Brazil is developing very close relations with uh, Mozambique and Angola. And then uh, the same with China and their partners, and also Russia and their partners, and India as well. It's becoming a difficult structure in the sense that there are also conflicting interests. For instance, if we include in the BRICS plus Pakistan, then immediately there is the Pakistan-India challenge. The same with Russia, so we must be very careful how we configure the BRICS+, Plus. but that it's a reality that the other countries, especially in Europe as well Turkey and, and even Greece, are part of the discussions from time to time. It's interesting that we've had a BRICS education discussion uh, two months ago in Bulgaria. So it is becoming a much more broader association than the uh, five countries.
0: If it becomes bigger then, and we talk about all these countries that you've mentioned that's in on discussions and decision making, do you think the name will at some stage change and not be BRICS and turn into something else?
6: Well, that is probably up for discussion in the future, and I think at this stage we can live easily with with BRICS+, and we can also say, okay, the BRICS+, Plus, the plus is observer status, they can participate in discussions, but they cannot vote or they cannot uh, reach consensus. That is not the idea, it's still the five countries. But it's becoming more and more um, problematic in the sense that the other countries are playing a bigger role, South Africa must be very careful how we are playing our cards in the future. We must be competitive, we must be able to play a meaningful and a functional role on the African continent. I have no doubt in my mind that if we are not able to deliver in the BRICS development context that China and Russia and Brazil will look at the other African countries as well.
0: This is now the 10th summit of heads of state and government of these BRICS countries. What makes this 10th one different than previous ones?
6: Well, I think we are moving slowly away from just policy formulation documents and declarations and discussions to a position where it is now implementation. You know that the New Development Bank is there. They are looking at infrastructure and development and projects, and African countries are part of it, and it's now implementation. We must now show the results. It was very clear on the agenda that they don't want to discuss the so-called trade war. The trade war... Is between China and the United States of America the challenge there is we cannot ignore not Russia not South Africa India or Brazil cannot ignore the importance of the European Union and for that matter trade with the United States as well so we will continue with our bilateral relations with the different countries but BRICS is there you know to focus on improving trade between the countries to make it easier to invest to look at education And training possibilities, especially in the BRICS Network University, with joint degrees, joint research projects. So it's bringing the developing world closer together with joint integrated programs.
0: Could one say that the BRICS concept is a very successful one? Do the member states really benefit from this? Yeah, I think so.
6: If you look at research, a joint research project, that was uh, quite an important one. The uh, business sector is getting more and more involved with China, with Russia. We are moving away from the political impact to uh, the economic and social impact. So, uh, by and large, it was a success. Initially, there was a very strong political emphasis on BRICS, and it was seen as a formation against others. Not anymore. It's becoming more and more a socio-economic formation as well, but it's a slow process. It's an incremental process. We must, in South Africa, as a smaller partner in the BRICS context, must play a much more bigger role in getting our own house in order. That is important. The second one is that we must be very careful how we deal with our BRICS partners, because the most important aspect in diplomacy is to advance your own national interests. And China will not do something, you know, just because they are trying to be the nice guy on the block. No, that will not happen. They are also developing their own national interests. And we must be very careful and streetwise when we are dealing with our partners in the international community.
1: And that was political analyst Theo Becker of the South Africa's Northwest University talking to Channel Africa's Janine Kutzer.
0: Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without
2: African cocoa. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy.
7: And as long as we are deemed to be
8: inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice.
9: Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am, with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11, as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time, 1000 African Voices, with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, broadcasting from an African Perspective.
1: Now, despite complaints against the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, ZEC, over the manner in which it is managing July 30th polls, MDCT announced Wednesday it would not boycott elections. Earlier, Nelson Chamisa and the MDC Alliance partners had threatened to pull out the race-citing bias on the part of ZEC, creating confusion in the minds of the electorate. Now, addressing the media in the capital today, Chamisa said his party could not afford to boycott but contest and expose the rot, in ZDC and ZANU-PF. Simon Muchemwa reports from Harare.
9: The red line has finally been drawn and come July 30th, the big fight between the ruling ZANU-PF and the main opposition MDCT will be taking place in Zimbabwe. It's an election of a lifetime. As president, Emerson Mnangagwa will be there to please the international community in a bid to have Zimbabwe readmitted into leagues of nations such as the Commonwealth. On one hand, Opposition leader Nelson Chamisa is there to prove a point that, following the November coup, ZANU-PF is yet to reform. It's a tight contest between the two leaders, but allegations of rigging have been made placing the country back onto the limelight. Despite challenges with the election body, ZEC regarding accountability and transparency of the, the voters' row and ballot papers, Nelson Chamisa stood his ground on Wednesday and announced his party would not boycott elections.
5: It's not possible to boycott our victory. That is what losers would want us to do. Now we don't take advice from losers. We don't take advice from those who are defeated. We are very clear and very circumspect. Let us respect the will of the people. The people want us to defeat dictatorship, to defeat poverty, to defeat tyranny, to defeat their hopelessness. They want us to defeat... The kind of embarrassment that they face as a people for the past 38 years, and this is why we are giving them a fighting chance, I can't be written in history as a person who who, betrayed and deprived the people their God-given right. We have done our best to campaign. We have done 74 rallies across the whole country. God is going to do the rest, and we know that is going to be a miracle. Our victory is set.
9: On one hand, MDCT has been labelled a violent political party, which Chamisa denied. I'm very consistent on peace. It's an
5: allegation which will not stick because they are afraid of the capacity that we have. Indeed, if we are to say this country is to be ungovernable starting tomorrow, Munanga will not be able to control it. We have the capacity to control And this is why we have been very... In fact, we must be acknowledged as peace icons.
9: However, the 40-year-old Chamisa appeared to have toned down on how he viewed the ZEC chairperson Justice Priscilla Chigumba, who as of late, had her personal love life exposed on the social media. Chamisa castigated those personalizing issues with Chigumba.
5: So even if you disagree with Chigumba, don't cross the line. Don't. And I've told our supporters, please let us not undermine the rights of others. In our pursuit of our rights, let's not also cross the line and behave in a manner that is not consistent with the democratic
9: society we want to build. A few days ago, leader of the elders... Kofi Annan urged Zimbabwean political parties to stop making unreasonable demands, which those in the ruling ZANU-PF interpreted as having been directed to MDCT and Chamisa. The MDC Alliance presidential candidate said he respects Kofi Annan's views.
5: President, uh, former Secretary General um, Kofi Annan is very clear on our issues. The elders are very clear on our issues and we respect their position. They know that our position on the ballot is consistent with what the guidelines of SADAC are is consistent with the law of the country. Just like SADC, we have made them. They are very clear on the issues. The only thing is that we also await for SADAC to make the necessary interventions on the stalemate issues, and we hope that they will respond in due time, even before the uh, actual election Monday.
9: Meanwhile, leader of the Commonwealth Election Observer team poured cold water on the statement by Mr. Anand, the former president of Ghana, John Gramani Mahama, told the media in the capital Harare on Wednesday that during elections there is no demand that might be termed unreasonable
10: Um, in the run-up to an an election no demand is unreasonable I guess that everybody wants to create sufficient democratic space and have a high level of confidence that they are being treated fairly and so I think that is for Zek to listen to those complaints and uh, where it is possible within the law to address those complaints to do so. But if it uh, takes ZEC outside the ambit of the law, I don't think that is something that um, they can uh, uh, contain. And so no demand is unreasonable.
9: The statement by the Commonwealth is likely going to lower some morale in zanu as they are desperate to have Zimbabwe admitted into the League of Nations. In Arari, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa.
3: Now moving
1: on to Nigeria, Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has blamed the defections of 16 senators from the ruling party on local politics, saying defectors have no specific grievances against him or the government that he leads. Now in a blow to Buhari ahead of the 2019 election, which he intends to contest, 16 senators quit the ruling All People's Congress Party, otherwise known as APC, with 14 of them joining the opposition People's Democratic Party, known as PDP. The president has urged his supporters to see the defections as a seasonal occurrence when elections are approaching, adding that it would have no impact on the ruling party. Channel Africa's Kumbelo Monseradeh spoke to the professor uh, Richard Erwanya, uh, Nigerian political analyst, about what the defections mean for the ruling party.
10: Everyone of us, as political observers are still in a, in a, watching and, uh, in a, uh, analyzing the situation and not so it actually would, I think what direction it is going. But let me quickly also add that uh, what goes wrong eventually comes wrong. Uh, because if you recall, situations like this deflection from one party to another was what actually and it resulted in the election of President uh, Mahmoud Buhari. Um, now, it is coming back to him. He wrote to power on the conviction of fighting corruption. And uh, although he has been doing this, we see that uh, the fight against corruption has been one-sided. It appears to be a weapon for fighting political enemies. And as a result of this, a lot of people have now, have now realized that uh, the security situation in the country, it's not being addressed, and uh, a lot of uh, economicization of the security forces, you know, uh, appears to be taking place at a very rapid rate. And uh, we appear to be re- re- progressing instead of progressing on our, uh, uh, on our uh, democratic march. And people have now become disenchanted with the way things are working in Nigeria. And the more progressive members of uh, the the, the ruling party have now decided to come back to FPC. I mean, to come back to PDP. Because majority of them defected from uh, PDP to SPC, And now they appear to be coming back home.
1: Now, do you think these uh, defections came as a surprise uh, for the APC prof or were they long time coming?
10: Uh, Of course, uh, a careful reader of the Nigerian political scene will will know that it will eventually happen. And the direction in which it it is going now is the general impeachment of the president. And that is why he is fighting to prevent this from happening, Uh, because he is using his power and prerogatives to fight corruption and to step on a lot of toes if you oppose him, he consults with the security forces. And a lot of the politicians, even the members of uh, 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 of uh, both House of, Assembly, House of Assembly representatives have been targeted by the president. And as a result of this, they have ganged up against him. And uh, if you recall, even during the period, I mean, the tenure of President uh, uh, Good Lord Jonathan, similar things occurred. When you start to harass your political enemies to the security forces, the tendency of, this, of, of those their enemies coming together to fight against you, you know, exists. And that's what we have witnessed in this case, that Bama Buhari has used the security forces against his political friends, against his political enemies. Whoever opposes him, you know, gets the brunt of his anger, and this has come back to hurt him in the long run. And the Senate has been adjoined to September. I do not know if the intention has been, as I suspect, my likelihood is that, they will try to go the impeachment direction.
5: Now, talk to us, uh, Prof, about uh, the People's
1: Democratic Party. Obviously, jubilation on their part as uh, they are a party that has gained a lot from this. How will uh, these defections change the game plan for the People's Democratic Party?
10: Well, I think uh, it's too early for them to rejoice because... Uh, the uh, the power of incumbency in Nigeria is very uh, uh, is very very effective and brutal sometimes. Of course, on paper it is looking as if that they are going to gain politically, you know, from it. Uh, considering the fact that uh, the election is just uh, an, um, around the corner I mean, next year. On the second thought, you also understand that it all depends on the political calculations on I mean, the geopolitical areas that uh, they are controlling. And the majority of uh, the votes are likely to come from the core uh, northern stage of uh, the political zones that the presidency has uh, a, a commanding influence.
1: And that was Professor Richard Rowanya, political analyst uh, from Nigeria, talking to Kumbelo Monsalile. Right now, it is 17.30 Central African time. It's time for us to find out what is happening in the news headlines with One Lentzinski.
2: South Africa's president, Serra Ramaphosa, hails the first decade of the existence of BRICS as a major success in global developmental agenda. Leader of Zimbabwe's opposition MDC alliance, Nelson Chamisa, confirms his party will take part in elections on Monday, following earlier threats to boycott them. And more than 30,000 residents of Kibera slums southwest of the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, remain homeless after authorities evicted them. Channel African News, I'm Onilin Sinzi. Africa Digest
0: You're listening to Africa Digest
1: Well, this is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. I just want to remind you that if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or you can send us a WhatsApp to 763003327. That is 763003327. If you're outside of the South African borders, be sure to use that international dialing code, which is PLUS27. And if you're on the Twitter streets, at channelafrica1. And don't forget to follow us. But right now, let's move it over to the United States and talk about about Palestine as well. Uh, the United States envoy to the United Nations was labeled as arrogant by her Palestinian counterpart after she slammed Arab and Islamic countries for taking uh, for talking up a big game in support of Palestinians without providing financially and supporting their humanitarian needs. Now ambassador Nikki Haley, a strong defender of Israel, was speaking during a Security Council meeting on the Middle East. Now she angered many countries from the Organization of Islamic Cooperation group by arguing that they are generous in words but not in financial contributions to the U.N. Relief and
4: Works Agency. Uh, This is the
1: agency that helps Palestinian refugees. Brass Peace reports.
4: Ambassador Haley was not holding back during this monthly session on the Middle East, which tends to be dominated by the Palestinian question, noting there was no end to speeches from Arab states criticizing Israel's actions in the region, while providing little or no financial aid to the Palestinian
11: cause. Talk is cheap. No group of countries is more generous with their words than the Palestinians, Arab neighbors and other OIC member states. But all of the words spoken here in New York do not feed, clothe or educate a single Palestinian child. All they do is get the international community riled up.
4: Haley mentioned countries by name in terms of their contributions or lack thereof to UNRWA, the agency tasked by the UN General Assembly to provide humanitarian relief to Palestinians. She mentioned Iran, Algeria and Tunisia as having made zero contributions last year. She called out Egypt and Pakistan for low contributions. While touting the U.S. amount of $364 million to the agency last year, despite Washington cutting its aid to $60 million so far in 2018, as tensions with the Palestinian Authority continue to rise.
11: Judging by the vitriol that is directed toward the United States from the Palestinian representatives, including the one here today, and from some of their allies, one might fairly conclude that our support is unappreciated or unwelcomed. Americans are very generous people we are humanitarian oriented people and we continue to seek out ways to help the Palestinian people whose plight is of genuine concern to us but we're not fools if we extend a hand in friendship and generosity we do not expect our hand to be bitten
4: this was the Palestinian ambassador Riyad Mansour's response of course it was Uh, Typical of the uh,
12: Trump administration, insulting their allies and their friends because she was insulting close allies to the United States, such as the Arab countries in the Gulf region, including Saudi Arabia, that warranted that uh, very uh, clear response from the ambassador of Saudi Arabia. You cannot come to the Security Council in an arrogant way to say that you are the only one who is helping and others are not doing anything. That is not the
4: case. Mansour again reiterated Palestine's position that an international group of countries like the Middle East Quartet replaced the US role as sole mediator in the peace process.
12: The writing is on the wall. Jerusalem is off the table. onorwa I mean, refugees are off the table. onorwa to be destroyed through their action of denying substantial amount of money. Uh, uh, settlements are more or less uh, acceptable and the two-state solution is not in the card deck. So if you have that kind of behavior that is being exhibited by the U.S. administration, so what is left on the table? So that's why we don't want to engage in something that uh, is useless because All the things that they have announced unilaterally are things that will not pave the way for peace and progress.
4: He also confirmed that the state of Palestine had been elected to chair the Group of 77 Plus China for the year 2019. I'm Sherwin Pease in New York. Now, eight agencies in the Democratic
1: Republic of Congo have described an end of the Ebola outbreak in the country as a huge relief to communities living in the affected region as well as local and international responders. Now, however, even after this important milestone is passed, They say the outbreak is a reminder of the persistent vulnerabilities that remain in the Central African nation and in many other parts of the world where weak health infrastructure leaves communities vulnerable to deadly disease outbreaks. The DRC is no stranger to the Ebola virus, being the place where the disease was first discovered in 1976. And since then, the country has suffered nine different outbreaks. The latest one was declared in early May in the northwest equator province and has infected 54 people, claiming the lives of about 33 people. Emmanuel Capobianco is the director of the Health and Care Department at the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies.
13: I think there are numbers of factors that we can pinpoint to in terms of these effective, quick response that was put in place. The first is the government leadership. The Minister of Health and the government together really led a fast response, coordinating very strongly all the many partners that contributed to this success. The second element is the expertise that was acquired during the West Ebola outbreak between 2014 and 2016. All partners on the ground knew how to do it, what to do it, and actually implemented protocols that were already existing. The third element was the new technologies that were put in place, and particularly the vaccines against Ebola that were distributed for the first time ever in a country during an Ebola outbreak. And this was a specific vaccine that was provided only to the contacts of suspected Ebola cases and to the contacts of contacts. In total, 3,300 people were vaccinated and that contributed massively to reduce the spreading of the disease. And last element, in my opinion, is the excellent work that was done at the community level. One of the biggest problems in previous uh, Ebola outbreaks was the fear and the rejection of communities. This time, again, based on the experience of the 2014-2016 outbreak, Communities were sensitized, were made part of the response from the very beginning, and so there was less refusal and much greater participation, and that was a critical factor, particularly in the speed of this response. Do you think that it's too soon to celebrate, though? I mean, we've seen some countries in the past being
2: declared Ebola-free, only to have more infections reported later on.
13: Well, the declaration of the end of the outbreak follows a strict protocol that brings into factor the point that 42 days have passed since the last confirmed cases. That means that two cycles, incubation period, have passed, and so it's extremely unlikely that there would be other cases. We know, though, that the virus can hide in the bodies and can resurface even at a year of distance. There are studies recently that have identified cases in a woman one year later and also we know that the virus can be carried, for instance, in the semen of men. That said, it's extremely unlikely and I think there is a good reason to celebrate, to take this moment in with all the relief that this moment brings to the many communities affected and also with the realization that several lives were lost during this outbreak, several families were affected and so our response to the outbreak is not over in that sense and it remains in strengthening the psychosocial support for the families of the victims and in getting ready, getting stronger within the health system, within the communities for what is going to come in the future as another outbreak. There have been nine outbreaks over the past 30 years. It's likely there will be a tenth outbreak. Are there any mistakes that you think happened during this outbreak that we should draw lessons from? If you ask public health officials like me, you will always hear the response that we could have done even faster, we could have done even better. i will talk about, for instance, one area where the Red Cross has been particularly involved. It was the burials of the Ebola deaths and the deaths of suspected Ebola cases. We have done a high number of these burials, but at the beginning, we met some resistance and it was not possible to do the safe and dignified barrier because of family refusal. We had to basically use anthropologists and get a better understanding of what the reasons were for this refusal and go around this. And I think what we have learned is that indeed, you need to fully understand the fabric of the communities, the different tribes to which the communities belong to, having teams that actually respond, to that social fabric, you need to come in into a process that is very participatory, not threatening for a family that is mourning. And we have done very successfully many of the barriers. We missed a few. And I think what we learn through this experience is how to be even more effective in the future. And I'm sure other agencies will identify other areas for improvement. But certainly we need to be even faster, even closer to the communities in the future. But this response, particularly compared to the 2014-2016 outbreak, was exceptionally fast and good and contained the outbreak in record times.
2: What plans do you think should be put in place to monitor the situation? And how long should this last for?
13: You know, you can't prevent future outbreaks but you can prepare for future outbreaks. So my immediate response to you would be, you need to continue investing in preparedness. And this is not a process that lasts one month or two months. This is a process that needs to be continuing. It needs to work at the community level to strengthen the surveillance capacity of communities, the capacity to detect and communicate cases of diseases that seem to be not normal. You need to strengthen the capacity of the health post, health facilities, hospitals to respond, to put up the isolation works, to have the right protocol and guidelines for responding. You need to preposition supplies so that when and if an outbreak occurs, you have all the material ready to be deployed on the ground.
1: And that's Emmanuel Capobianco, Director of the Health and Care Department at the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, IFRC, on the line from Nairobi, Kenya, talking to Elizabeth Ledikha. Now, at least seven worshippers were killed and eight others injured on Monday in a suspected suicide bombing at a mosque in northeast Nigeria. The incident took place in Konduga, a restive town near Maiduguri, capital of Borno State and the heartland of Boko Haram insurgency. Now, meanwhile, aid agencies remain concerned that Borno State remains inaccessible because of insecurity and logistical constraints. Now, nearly two million people are displaced by the conflict between Boko Haram and the Nigerian
8: Armed Forces in Borno chain robotata reports Eight years of conflict in Nigeria's Bono state continue to exact a serious humanitarian toll on more than a million people who remain internally displaced and are under-trapped in enclaves for more than two years. While the provision of humanitarian assistance has improved during 2017, the Global Medical Aid Agency Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, says it remains inadequate as security and a lack of access hamper the delivery of aid in some areas. MSF's Kasten Noko.
5: Hello has been done. But um, as of today, many needs still remain unmet. The quality of the response still has a lot of room for improvement. I mean, all of the things that we normally take for granted, uh, shelter, water, healthcare, um, sanitation services, uh, medical assistance, of course, uh, for us as MSF is uh, of great concern. But I mean, all of these things that, you normally need to live, a, you know, a normal, dignified life for things that are missing in Bono, and, and people don't have access to, except um, what they get from 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 the um, humanitarian actors who provide humanitarian
1: assistance. And that was uh, Jane. That was. Uh, a report by Jane Rabotata, but right now it is time for us to head on over to the Economics News as it is 17.45 Central African time. So here is with Wissani Matebula.
7: Good evening Samora. Africa's richest man, Aliko Dangote, has arranged uh, more than 4.5 billion US dollars in debt financing for his Nigerian oil refinery project and aims to start production by early 2020. Dangote is building the world's largest single oil refinery with a capacity of 650,000 barrels per day to help reduce Nigeria's dependence on imported petroleum. Despite being a crude oil exporter, Nigeria imports the bulk of its petroleum because of lack of domestic refinancing capacity. And tourism expert Unati Henaamasa is the 10th BRICS summit currently underway in Johannesburg, South Africa. An is imp- an opportunity for the country to sell its tourism trade. Henaama says it's about time that South Africa starts using tourism as one of its trading chip with its uh, BRICS partners. He also says the country must become an exporter within the BRICS block instead of an importer. If you
10: look at the trade, you find that the BRICS partners actually trade more with South Africa. In other words, we import more goods from these BRICS partners than we export, and then that leads to a trade imbalance that South Africa is experiencing. Now, in order for South Africa to start, obviously, to punch up above its wing, it must actually be using tourism as a sector where it might actually have a trade advantage against established BRICS partners, which it is doing trade with. For example, you find that the growth of uh, tourists coming from China to South Africa has increased the more than. 50%. 50%. The same thing has occurred in India and the same thing has also occurred in Brazil.
7: Agriculture producers in South Africa's western Cape province can now export more produce to SADC countries and the European Union than before. This came out at a seminar in Cape Town hosted by the provincial government's investment arm WestGrow. More export oppor- opportunities are now available thanks to a new eu sadc economic partnership agreement. Affected produce include oil fisheries, whole milk powder, cultured yeast and different fruit juices. WestGrow Head of International Trade, Dan Ankuni, explains why the agreement is important. The EPA offers new and expanded duty-free market access to the EU and other trade benefits under the EPA. It provides significant opportunities for agricultural, agri-processing and fisheries
14: in terms of a sector approach.
7: Zimbabwe Scaro Mining says it has a range of finance options for its $4.2 billion dollar platinum mining venture including bank finance equity money from shareholder teresa plc located in the mondorongi z platinum belt west of harare the project will include a coal mine and power station and should employ 15,000 people when fully implemented it will create zimbabwe's largest integrated platinum mining and refinery operation Africa-focused oil explorer Talo Oil will use a free cash flow of uh, 401 million US dollars to pay down debt and invest rather than pay an interim dividend. This after having raised the possibility of a return to payouts, Talor returned to profit last year after three years in the red. Its net debt of $3.1 billion was slightly below expectations for the first half. The company expected free cash flow to come in at around $300 million for the first six months of the year. Financial indicators now the dollar at 10.14 Botswana Pula, 9.84 Zambian Kwacha, that is uh, with uh, SADC currencies. BRICS currencies, the dollar stronger at 3.76 Brazilian Real, 62.98 Russian Ruble, 68.79 Indian Rupee, 6.81 Chinese Yuan and at 13.37 South African rand. Then European currencies. It's trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 85 cents against the euro. Commodities now. Gold is at $1,224. Platinum, $829 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil, $73.90 per barrel. That's our looking.
1: And now it's time for us to find out what is happening in the world of sports with Mosiburi Makura.
8: Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news, the Egyptian Football Association has named a short list of four coaches to replace Argentine Hector Coupe. Now, Coupe's contract was not renewed after the Pharaohs failed to get past the group stages of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Now, the four names on the list are Colombian Jorge Luis Pinto, Spaniard... Guneko Sanchez-Floré, Mexican Javier Agure, as well as Bosnian Vahid Haliduzesh. Now, the association hopes to have a new coach in place for the Africa Cup of Nations qualifier against Niger, set for the 8th of September. Now back home, Di Sundowns are on the verge of buying out of the CAF Champions League and need nothing but a victory in their return leg clash against AS Togo Port this coming Friday to keep alive their chances of advancing to September's quarterfinals. Now the 2016 African Champions are yet to win a game in the group stages and currently anchor Group C with two points. Defending champions Wydad Casablanca are on five points along with second place Horoa FC while Togo Port are in third position on four points. Sundance coach Peter Musimane says he does not want to be at the mercy of the other results going into or rather going their way
14: yeah must win nothing else simple as that otherwise you'll be hoping that oh maybe Musimane can lose to this one and this one lose it's no longer in your hands it's you in our hands we can we can get five points and you never know what's going to happen in in Kaza. you know so but Normally, not many people come back from Kaza. So we're hoping that Kaza wins. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. But we win and Kaza wins. And then we are second on the log. Then we can sort it out with royal here.
8: Now Musiman admits he was a bit concerned with the defence following the four goals they have conceded in the three-group matches played and believes they could have done better.
14: The goal we conceded against WIDAT, I think you remember very well, it was a big error. Um, in Conakry, I mean we had the game wrapped up until the last 3 minutes eh? or 5 minutes and we didn't pick up in the box as a header and then um, you consider goal in um, now now in Togo that came off Ricardo it comes off Ricardo it falls for the striker those things do happen and it's unfortunate but uh, you're right on paper there are four goals but I don't know how we consider this four goals <laughs>
8: And finally, Tennis News, Serena Williams says she is a victim of discrimination as she is the most drug-tested American tennis player. The 23-time Grand Slam singles champion made the claim in a tweet on Tuesday after doping officials visited her house. Now, the American had previously expressed frustration about the volume of her tests earlier this month. It also claimed the player was not present when the USADA officials visited her home on the 14th of June. Now, Williams stated that the tester showed up 12 hours earlier than the agreed time. As so sports news at the sound I'm back with more sports news just before 8 p.m Central African time.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: And that is how we wrap up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again at 7 p.m. for the second hour of Africa Digest. But from myself, Samora Mangesi, producer, Luanda Maome, technical producer, Drovo and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments on our show, you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or you can send us a WhatsApp to 763003327. That is 763003327. And if you're outside of the South African borders, please use that international dialing code, which is PLUS27. And if you are a fan of Twitter, you can head on over to Twitter at channelafrica1 is what you search for. Be sure to follow us and let us know what you thought of the show so far. Taking us to the top of the hour is Assurance by Davido. We'll see you later. You're the one I want, though. Before my leave, I start to fail the one I need, oh. Before I ever start to hate, and if I ever leave,
5: oh, me I go <laughs>